Hello and welcome back to the Meraki Unboxed podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner. I'm coming back refreshed from some PTO and I'm so excited to host today's episode. We have an outstanding guest and it's going to be a really, really fun one. I know it. Um, if you haven't already done so, go ahead and subscribe. Make sure you're telling everyone you know about how amazing this podcast is. We have new content coming out about every two weeks. Um, and as always, if you'd like to collaborate with us or you have ideas, please tweet us at Meraki Simon. And if it makes sense, we'd love to collaborate, have you on the podcast. Um, but without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump in and introduce today's guest. So Hope Galley joined Cisco Meraki to lead our global channel org almost a year ago. Uh, prior to her time at Meraki, Hope was actually at Cisco, where she built a 22-year career, starting out as a channel account manager and then holding various roles throughout her tenure. She worked as a regional manager at one point, a global AM, a sales director of services and software, and then uh, ended up being an executive leader of Software and Services America's AOP. So she has had many roles within the Cisco world and organization through channel and sales. Hope says that she is obsessed with customer obsession. She says, when your customers are enamored with your product or service and the customer experience is so good that they can't help but come back for more, that is when you've built customer obsession and a life cycle loyalty that's hard to shake. And she says, that's what I do at Cisco. So I love it. I love that mantra. I, I want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, besides being a total hustler, and a go-getter in her career. She's also a mom of three. I don't know how you do it all. Welcome to the Meraki Unbox podcast, Hope. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Sammy? It's good to be here. I just got Yay. back from PTO too. So, you know, I know. The, the two of us are going to crush this before we get to our 5,000 emails. I love that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Digging our way out of the email hole. Well, I am so excited you're here. And just a little bit of background for listeners who are tuning in today. I met Hope a couple weeks ago. She was out at Meraki HQ, and we were out of a little, you know, happy hour gathering, and she was sitting across the table from me, and we just started chatting. It was my first time meeting her, and immediately, Hope, like, your vibe, your energy, the way you talked about your team and the business and transformation. I was just so blown away by you that I was like, hey, you have to come on this podcast. Like, I'm not really giving you an option. Um, so thank you for saying yes. Of course. I, I'm excited to be here. It was great to be out at the HQ. It was my first trip. So that was amazing to uh, see everyone, spend time with everybody, and uh, definitely great energy out there in the Bay with the team. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, so let's let's dig in and start from the beginning. I always like to ask this question. So tell us your story. I mean, how did you even get into technology in the first place? Um, by 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 luck. You know how that like how you fall into things. You always hear that. People always say I fell into X Y Z. Um, yeah. I needed a job when I went to college, and uh, the job board had the computer center. Um, at the time, had an opening for somebody to set the front desk and kind of just take tickets and move things around and, and kind of be a jack of all trades. And so I went down there and I applied and little did I know that that 
you know, random ticket on a job board in college would lead to me having a career in technology. So um, that's how it all started. Just one of those fluke kind of things that um, I was a marketing and um, major as well as MIS at the time, Management Information Systems. And uh, it just kind of fit into what I wanted to do. And I made some great friends there. And that kind of kicked off me and technology. So wow, that, that's where it all began. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did that lead you to Cisco, that original job? Well, it's interesting. I um, I got a job at the job, a job fair right out like my junior year in college. And it was with a tech company who worked in the automobile industry. And that moved me to D.C. And when I was here in D.C., I, I got involved with some other tech companies that were out here starting up and so forth. And um, I actually, a funny story, I had sold a large installation to a large um, company out here and I got a call on my bag phone in my Jetta. I know I'm dating myself now, Sammy, but it was um, a gentleman who um, I think everyone knows, Chuck Robbins, um, who's the CEO of Cisco, along with um, Greg Feldman, and they called me in to interview and to meet them to come to Cisco. So most of the jobs I've always moved to or moved from are all by word of mouth or referral. Um, is kind of how my career has went. And so that's how I got to Cisco. It wasn't by applying directly. It was more from um, people talking to our partners and customers. And my name kept popping up and Greg gave me a call and he and Chuck interviewed me and they brought me to Cisco. Wow. But yeah, just casual, you know, just a casual Chuck Robbins drop. I love that. <laughs> what a fun story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to ask this, you know, right off the bat, you, you just mentioned a lot of your career has been word of mouth, right? People hearing your name and you know, jumping from role to role. I think for our listeners, that's something interesting and really important. Like, you know, how do you, how did you build that brand? I mean, what's involved in making sure that your, your footprint is known and that people know who you are and people know the work you're doing? Like, how do you cultivate that sort of brand, I guess. Yeah, I think it goes back to two things. Um, one with my mantra that you talked about at the top of the um, podcast was around, I'm just obsessed with doing the right thing for our customers and our partners. And I think that's where my brand has always been built on trying to make sure that our customers and partners are successful and what they want to do and what they want to bring to market and for their employees or for their um, peers and so forth. So I think a part of that is that, right? Just always trying to do the right thing. And I know that may sound a little corny to some people, but I think people, even when you have to deliver hard messages or that you can't do something, if you're honest with them and upfront and they know that you are a part of their mission and what they're trying to achieve, it just creates this next level of trust. And that's kind of been the foundation of what I've always thought about the whole time I've been in sales, whether I've been at Cisco or prior to Cisco. And then, you know, secondarily, I'm somebody who always looks at what we're doing and trying to figure out what's next. What can we do next? What are we seeing in the market? What am I reading that I think we could implement that looks like the next wave or the next gen of either employee satisfaction or how can we be more productive or what can we do differently? 
So I definitely have a keen interest in learning, whether that be through magazines or just talking to my peers and so forth. And I also have made it a mission to reach out to others and just get to know people in other groups of the business. So I understand the bigger corporate message versus just what I'm doing at the time. And I think those three things, the passion for customer success, the the looking at what we can what can we do different, how we can transform, and then the willingness to reach out to folks who I may not seem to have a common link with, but building those links have been my three secrets to moving about in the business and having the career I've had. Yeah. Wow. It was super impactful. And I think that last one, reaching out to other people in the business who you might not have a common link with, like right off the bat, but building those relationships, understanding the function of those departments. I mean, it's just invaluable because you're you're expanding your network, right? And it's like, hey, we might cross paths again one day. Um, and really getting to know people, I think that's huge, the secret sauce right there. Uh, so let me ask, you you built this amazing career at Cisco, right? You've had all these different roles. You eventually came over to Meraki to lead this global channel organization about a year ago. What was appealing to you about Cisco Meraki? Like, what was the draw of this role? I really, uh, it's three things for me. Um, as you can tell, I do a lot of things in threes, you know, three kids, three dogs, um, three disciplines. Um but um, one husband, I want to be clear with that, Sammy, one husband. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> for me, it was, um, one, the technology and what Meraki has done up till now and then what we're going to do around IoT and the next gen of what what business applications will be. So that was number one. Um, number two, the people, the people I'd met through Meraki. I love the energy of the company. I love the can-do spirit. I love the let's think outside the box, which always appeals to me from a transformational standpoint. And then the third thing was, you know, I also manage the global ecosystem and global service provider teams under my role. And it was that whole thing around how do we expand what we're doing and how do we bring managed services and lead that, right? Um, and Meraki, for me, just the energy around those three things, the people, the technology, and the next wave of technology, and then how we go to market around managed and around ecosystem partners were were the things that really brought me here. Um, and I was right. There's so much to be done here, and there's so much energy, and just the vibe is really, really positive. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. I feel like we're, to your point, at such a unique part of the, the transformation and the, the uh, where we're going, I guess, on our roadmap as a company. And there are so many positive changes and, um, you know, cloud monitoring just launched, right, where you can look at your catalyst switches on the, mm -hmm. under the Meraki dashboard. And there's just so much cool innovation happening. And I feel like we're right at kind of the very beginning. Yep, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned um, you love coming in and, and transforming businesses, right? Um, and it sounds like that's probably one of your superpowers in terms of, you know, what you're really good at in your skill set. How did you develop that? Like, where did that come from? How did you suss it out? How did you realize that was something you were really good at doing? And then how do you come into an organization and apply that skill set to like a larger scale? Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting, you know, now that I have, you know, children and I see their personalities develop, I think for me, 
growing up, my family didn't have a ton of money. So I always had to think about how was I going to get there or how was I going to achieve something, right? Um, so I would always be super creative and trying to pull things together, whether it be like a prom dress or like a party I wanted to have or something along those lines. So I, I've always been really good at being imaginative and thinking bigger and trying to figure out what pieces I could bring together to accomplish something. I've always been somebody to who has been able to do that. My friends want me to quit technology, quite honestly, and be a party planner full time. But who knows, maybe <laughs> that will happen after retirement. But um, so, so I definitely had the natural knack for it. Um, the thing that I learned, and I didn't learn this very early in my career, I would say probably after my first leadership job, I think a lot of managers have this realization is that you have to also have the ability to bring people along with you. Um, it's never about the technology or about the change or about the process change, it's about the people when you think of transformation. So it's building that bridge and empowering people and making sure everyone has a say in what we're doing and they understand not only what it means to the company, but what it means to them individually um, is really the secret to transformation. Because as we all know, transformation is another word for change, right? Change for the better is what transformation is. And when anyone hears the word change, people get nervous, um, especially salespeople when it comes to comp plans and salaries and bonuses and so forth. So it's being able to deliver that message simply on all levels of what does this mean in the big picture? What does this mean to our organization? Then individually, what does it mean to you? And how can you be a participant in it is, is probably the biggest key to transformation that I learned after my first leadership job at Cisco, because when I came to Cisco, it was very much a go alone um, environment. And then I, you know, I learned the hard way through some failures and some things like my team and definitely I could have done better that, you know, we win together, we lose together, we transform together, and it is a team sport um, regardless. And that's been really my key is making sure everyone I'm as honest and transparent as I can be with the team that I explain to them, not just the high level, but the mid and personal levels to them. And the process and the change will happen, but we you've got to get the people behind you. Even, even if they feel like the Martin Luther King Jr. quote, if they, you know, even if we don't see the staircase, we got to take the first step, right? And it's getting them comfortable with taking that first step. I mean, and that's yeah. probably my secret sauce over the years is being able to get people to believe in the the process and get behind it and to really rise up to the challenge of change so right that's what it's i would not say. easy to do change management is difficult no doubt mm -hmm. um but to your point that ability to bring people together and believe in something together and you're so right it is all about the people ultimately at the end of the day because if they're not bought in right to the mission or the cause it's you're not going to get there. Um, so making sure you have the right people enroll and that they're bought into the larger vision and strategy is, is super important. Um, you mentioned, you know, you learned through some failures. And I always say, like, failure or fail is first attempt in learning, right? Is there a story that you could share with us? I mean, is there something particular at your time at Cisco that stuck out to you as, like, a hard learning lesson that you went through that you've, you know, 
can look back on and say I had tremendous growth at that time. Oh my gosh, Sammy, when you're a transformational leader, it, like and me in general, I've made so many mistakes. Um, yeah. <laughs> like so, so many things that I thought were great that I probably did wrong, right? Um, yeah. I look back and I always, you know, Monday, Monday quarterback them, right? But I think the biggest thing is I came up with this whole idea on how we should be structured when I had a team and I, um, I went and I thought, you know, this is the best way and like this is why because the numbers are saying, you know, this will help our productivity per head, this will help our touch of the customer, this will help our touch of the partner, and uh, this will help, you know, achieve X amount of growth, right? So I had this plan and I was like, this is ingenious. I pulled all these numbers, the trending numbers and so forth. But the thing about Cisco that that is even more so now than 15 years ago, probably when this happened, is we're such a cross-functional matrix organization that I didn't take into account how this plan and how the structure could impact other organizations. And mm. so when I when I brought it to uh, to bear to present, um, needless to say, some of my colleagues and peers and other folks across the business were not pleased that that was the first time they were seeing it. Um, so now, you know, that, that, that's, was a huge lesson because I'm always so, my old teams used to call me mama bear. I'm so protective of my organization and I'm so, um, emotionally attached, but having to look across and recognize that, you know, one change and especially in the areas that I've worked in will change how other people may work or, or, or feel their teams. Um, was a huge learning lesson and and you know it it created a lot of um, angst with my peers and again this was probably 15 plus years ago and it's something to this day some of those people and I are the closest because afterwards I fell on my sword I was like oh my gosh I didn't even think of this you know it's my fault you know and I think that's a big lesson as a leader not to be defensive just to be like I blew it sorry guys you know like like didn't know I didn't mean to and so now, like, if I come up with a plan, I will socialize it with our, you know, BDE teams, with our field teams and, like, APO, with our service provider teams. Like, as I'm looking at FY23, I'll talk to my team. I'll talk to the direct team. I'll talk to the marketing team, right? So everyone has a, a say in it even beyond my team and that it's really truly something that everyone can either voice their concern around or voice their support of and we can make the plan even stronger but that was you know a huge lesson for me and i think it's a huge lesson for a lot of leaders now as we look across businesses whether it's retail manufacturing tech you know technology companies or whatever we live in such a matrix environment and such a hybrid work environment that people maybe not right in front of you or in a different department definitely have a say or should have some input and we as conscious leaders need to make sure that we bring them into the process early and often as Mm -hmm. we're looking at transformation so yes i fell on my sword and my plan was not implemented because it would have been a lot of change for everyone else so we went with a hybrid plan which quite honestly sammy was a better plan anyway so yeah it was it was a hard lesson and but it also helped me um build some amazing relationships with those folks um afterwards once they got totally. through the disappointment in me right yeah yeah and i think something you said that really stuck with me is as a leader owning it 
right? Like, yeah, yeah you're right. I've made a mistake. Um, that wasn't great. I learned from it. That I mean, that in itself builds so much trust and credibility when a leader can own it, right? Instead yeah. of pointing the finger or, you know, uh, I think that's hugely powerful. You know, right now in our business, it's an interesting time, right, for any company. I mean, there's the Great Recession and people leaving and transitioning and new roles and, and, and there's just a lot of change. And like you mentioned before, it can be uncomfortable for people. If if you had advice to give, let's say someone is looking at something their leader is doing or they feel like there's a miss somewhere or something could be done better and they feel maybe intimidated to come to their leader or they don't know how to phrase it or say it, what advice do you have for listeners um, to kind of be that mirror, right, for, for their boss or maybe their boss's boss to really reflect what's going on in the business? I mean, how do you approach your boss in a way where it feels safe? To, to bring that kind of feedback. Yeah, and I, I, I that's that's a great call out, Sammy, because a lot of leaders, you know, it, it's they don't want to know, right? Or they're 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 so caught up in the daily, weekly, quarterly commits, right? That if you're a sales leader, that it's hard to stop and really look at something. But I think like I always say to my team, like you guys can come to me with anything that's going on. Because I want to do better. I want to do better for the team. I want us to do better um, as an organization and as a company um, that I think if you're going to come with something, just say, these are my observations and then make them fact based. That's number one. Make sure you don't get your emotions caught up into it um, and make them fact based. And then two, say, have we thought about doing it X, you know what I mean, versus X versus Y? And here's here here's the outcome I believe we'll see. And again, fact based. I think a lot of people come to, especially with change with emotion, and there is some gut to change, right? That you know you have to like trust your gut, trust your instincts. You know, they just said that in Maverick that I just watched. Um, that like no, don't overthink it. Trust your instincts, right? Um, yep. But um. But I think if you're going to come to your leader, it has to be very fact-based if you have a something you think they can do better. Because a lot of times what you'll find, too, if you go to a leader with a fact-based plan, like, hey, I see this happening and here's the result of what's happening in the business. Here's the result of, you know, how people are feeling and so forth. And here's what I think can make it better. Most leaders will be receptive of that because, again, they're so caught up in the daily grind of everything going on around them that if someone brings them a solution to a problem and can base it in something non-emotional um leaders are really receptive to that i mean i've had people on this team who have been at meraki years who have come to me and said hey hope that's not working and here's why i would suggest xyz and i'm like thank you so much you know because I didn't know. The worst thing is not to say anything and let it fester because then it gets into the sales. You know what I mean? It gets into the culture and that, totally. that, yep. that's the worst thing. But but again, take the emotion out of it. Make it, you know, you can have some hypothetical cases around it, but make sure you have some facts and what you think it will deliver. That would yeah. be my advice. I think that's great advice. And, and to your point too, not only make it fact-based, but play out the outcomes. Like, hey, yeah. looked at the data, here's the solution, right? This could be it. It could be X, Y, or Z. Like, I love coming to the table with a solution, right? If you're going to, you know, share some feedback or bring up things that could be better, well, then 
what do you have, right? Share with me what could be better. So um, I love that. Thank you for sharing that call out. Um, as we talk about your evolution and the changes you've seen in the business, I mean, where did you find your confidence? Where did you find the belief in you as, as a female leader at this company, right? I'm sure when you started at Cisco, over 22 years ago, it was a lot different. We're seeing a lot more women in leadership positions now. But um, yeah, where did that come from? Talk to us about your your evolution as a leader. Um, yeah, so I was raised by a, a baseball coach, right? Was my um, and both of my um, my dad was a baseball coach, and both of my grandmothers were the money winners in their family, right? The breadwinners in their family. Um, my grandmother, Margaret, and grandmother, Mabel, for a number of years were, you know, think back to, and this is kind of funny to say, like the Mad Men era, like my grandmother's like a lead, you know, executive secretary for a big corporation. My other um, grandmother ran a uh, a shoe, shoe, shoe store that had multiple locations and so forth. So I grew up just organically seeing women in leadership positions or seeing my dad coach because he coached you know, my brother and I's team, but then he coached other teams like my entire life, right? Um, so organically, I saw that in motion in my family. And for my grandmothers to be working in the workforce back then, it wasn't a foreign thing to me, Sammy. It was just a normal thing. And then when my mom and I, my brother and I went to school, my mom went to work, right? So I grew up in a family where that wasn't a novelty right that was just how it was so I I organically threw that my grandparents owned also an auctioneering business so being a small business owner so I started working in that when I was young like tallying bid sheets and things and taking money and you know like collecting from people and making sure they got their merchandise and so forth at a young age so I organically had seen that growing up um what took me a while to get to is probably a more polished approach <laughs> um, because I, I grew up in, you know, the Midwest in a small town and um, the the more diplomatic approach to leadership probably took me longer because I was probably a little too forthright in my uh, opinions. Right. So I, I've had to peel that back. But I will say this when I got to Cisco and it was again, there weren't a lot of women when I got here. I've n never felt um, marginalized um, here. I've always mm -hmm. been able to speak my mind and people have respected it. And I, But I do think it's because I had that confidence that I've had since I was little, just because I saw that with my grandmothers, right, um, right. in particular and with my father. So I think it, that has definitely helped me be able to understand how to position things and speak my mind. Now, again, I've had to to level things back because I uh, there was a time when you know anyone who knows me who would be listening to this is laughing where I may have it went a little too much digging in right that there's a balance um yeah. to it and um but I think um overall I had some great mentors in the business who are women who are ahead of me or women who were in different businesses who kind of took me under their wing and um that's why I also feel an obligation to give back to the women around me or the individuals who may not be the majority of our business um, or workforce so that I can make sure that they're 
you know, in a position to succeed, right? Because I have had that. I have been fortunate enough to have strong women leaders and strong men leaders around me to help me help me with my skill sets, right? And help me get to the right places. So yeah. Yeah. I 100% hear you though on the uh, the polish and the finesse and the effectiveness of your message. I've gotten that feedback before personally in my leadership career. Like, hey, you're a force to be reckoned with, but there's a there's a way to use, you know, your emotions, right? And there's a time for it and there's a time to scale back. And um, it's been a hard lesson, right? And I'm super grateful I got the feedback early in my career, but it's always something um, I have to be mindful of. So like before but responding you, to you email, hit the nail on the head right there, Sandy, yeah. is there's so many people who don't get that feedback. And I feel so fortunate mm-hmm. because I do have a lot of energy and a lot of passion and I want to do the right things, right? And but there is a balance and I was lucky enough like you to have that earlier in my career than later. But, you know, I meet people every day that people have not had honest coaching conversations with. And it's unfortunate because it's hurt the person's career. And then there's a lot of work to be done to um, reset, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep, absolutely. I always say clear is kind. Right, Brene Brown, like you gotta be upfront with people and you can do it with compassion and kindness and deliver that message, but you're not doing anyone on your team favors if you see something, you know, with their performance that they could they could get better at, right? And they could become really strong if you're not sharing it with them just because it makes you feel uncomfortable. That's not you're not doing your job as a leader, right? If you're not developing your people. Um I want to talk about building teams and building diverse teams. I know this is super important to you. Um, and, and I want to ask, you know, what does it mean to you to, to build out diverse teams? Um, and how do you go about not only recruiting and hiring diverse talent, but once you've cultivated these diverse teams, whether it's race, gender, you know, ethnicity, thought diversity, right, cognitive diversity, how do you make the folks on your team feel that sense of belonging yeah um you know diversity is such a hot topic right in today's environment right work environment people talk about it quite a bit i i feel so fortunate to live in an area i think you know where like where you live where there is a lot of diversity my kids are growing up with a lot of diversity with you know whether it be race religion age whatever sexual orientation and so forth and that's their normal Right. Um, Then I think, you know, with my last team before I came to Meraki, it it was a team that I had the oldest employee at Cisco of my team. And I had folks who were in their 20s. I had folks who were, you know, of different ethnic backgrounds and so forth and who were set in their ways because there were people on my old team who had had been in the same job for 25 years the same job, not the same company, the same job. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, working through that transformation and, and I think the thing that, that people forget when they're trying to build diverse teams, if, if people feel they're heard and people feel they have a platform to speak out on and they feel they're respected, it, it doesn't matter a person's, you know, backgrounds or who they are right people in general come from a place of you know people want to be respected they want to feel that they have a sense of you know safety right in the workplace 
They want to feel like they have a platform to be able to voice their opinions, whether they agree or disagree. And, um, you know, and that's the culture I try and build, right? Um, I, I try to, I recruit quite a bit. I'm involved in a lot of initiatives at Cisco and Meraki, whether it be, you know, women of Cisco, women of Meraki. I'm a part of the, the proximity initiative at Cisco that came out after the George Floyd shooting that brought um, African-American males and some females um, who who may not have felt like they had a platform to speak up on, right? And we, that we were paired together, who quite honestly be, have, have become extremely close to me. Um, and, you know, it's because, well, one of them said I reminded him of his mother, so I don't know, maybe he shouldn't be that close. I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, but we've built this like friendship, you know, and, and it's all built on those things that people innately as humans want to, under, you know, have and they, they want to be able to be seen. They want to be able to be celebrated for who they are and they want to have a safe place. And so, you know, I I recruit from historically black colleges. I, I um, am a part of listening in and, and attending events around the LBGTQ community that we have here at Cisco. I, I attend, I've attended some of the events of Asian Americans that we have. So I just, Sammy, I just lean into all these different groups. And so one, I can hear their concerns or what they worry about or what, what they're thinking. As a leader, I think I need to understand that. And then how do I help them get to their next level? How do I help them get to, you know, where they want to be and who they want to be, right, um, within the business community? So I spend a lot of time doing that. Um, one, one is because I believe diverse teams make the best teams. But two, it's also there's, there's something powerful about when you can help another individual and, and see them grow. Um, it's kind of like parenting. It's just, it's like this very special, um, I don't know how to explain it, experience, right? So yeah. I make it, I make an effort to get out to as many different events and many different organizations as I can. I speak to different events. Um, I'm involved now with um, partners who are owned by African Americans. Like, how do we get them you know, a bigger part of our uh, partner, you know, community and how do we help support them. And so I think it's just important to look at people and um, and provide them safety and provide them a platform and provide them an opportunity, regardless mm -hmm. of how they may identify, because right. it just makes it a better workplace. And people learn from people. I mm -hmm. mean, on my last team, I had a gentleman who left me, wrote me a letter and he said, I've never worked for such a diverse team and I've never been in a happier place. I'm so glad I got to retire here. Like this was his, wow. you know, he was retiring and it yep. just, it just made me feel so good that, you know, he noticed it. Right. And he saw what it brought to him and, and it allowed him to retire in a certain place or a certain mindset that he may not have been able to before. So that was pretty powerful for me to get that affirmation yeah. from him. Right. That's so special. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it really comes down to people feeling seen and heard, yep. regardless of how they identify their backgrounds, where they've come from. If you can create a team 
where you've cultivated the relationships, right? And I feel inspired, by the way, after listening to you to join a lot more employee resource groups, right, and really get out there more myself. But if you can build the relationships with these folks and create a diverse team, and then they come to your team, and you create an environment of psychological safety, where people feel like they can show up as who they are, and they can speak their mind, and they can share their ideas without fear of, you know, retaliation, that just breeds a healthy work environment where people are going to feel excited to show up and do their job, which in turn uh, presents better results, right? So it's like it's a win-win for the business to create that kind of team in that environment, which it sounds like you're pretty masterful at. It's a big I deal. Any, I don't know if anyone's masterful in anything. I always <laughs> say, you know, Mike, Michael Phelps had a coach for a reason, right? Like I still have a lot right. of coaches who are helping behind the scenes and, you know, that I call upon. But um, it's definitely something I try to do my – my due diligence around and and get as much um, just as much diversity and just as much knowledge around where people are and how they're feeling um, is really important to me. Yeah, yeah, that's very evident. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, we haven't spent too much time talking about your actual role, right, and what you do, kind of like the nitty gritty leading the global channel organization. And this is like a big kind of question, I guess, but where do you see, you know, the, the channel organization moving, um, you know, at Cisco Meraki? I think at Cisco, they have a very baked out channel practice, right? And, and we're taking a lot of those partners who have been Cisco resellers for years and years and introducing them to Meraki and getting them hooked on cloud. Where do you see the evolution going? Kind of where is your mindset with where you want to take um, our, our channel organization in this next fiscal year? Yeah, I mean, um, I have four priorities for next year that I'm concentrating on um, with the team. And, you know, I've been open with my team about this for some months. One is around managed and what does managed look like for Meraki, right? So managed could be managed by service providers, could be managed by traditional partners. You know, what what sort of managed cloud platform offers do we have, right? And how do we get them out and get them to the right partners um, is number one. Number two is around IoT. I, you know, I, I really think IoT is the unicorn inside of Meraki, kind of who Meraki was 10 years ago. And I think we have a huge upside there. So how do we get to the right IoT partners or IoT um, um, distributors to make sure we get that message out? So that's number two. Um, number three is around, you know, routes to market from a segmentation standpoint. So, you know, SMB was the bread and butter for Meraki. It's still a big part of our business. How do we help accelerate that and what how do we do that with our partners, not just for us, but for the overall Cisco, um, you know, train per se. Um, and then finally, ecosystem. I mean, the great thing about Meraki that makes it so unique from a lot of parts of Cisco, not all, but some parts of Cisco is, you know, first off, the app developers and those who can build on top of our technology and what we can bring to verticalized markets, what we can bring to needs around COVID or around employee safety. And and just that, you know, I feel as if we're just starting that, even though we have so many partners on our marketplace, 
I think that's really going to be the secret sauce as we move forward is getting into those those ecosystem partners who can build on top of the platform of Meraki, working with some maybe some traditional partners or partners who we haven't even met yet to really meet those those needs, whether it be around, you know, safety of a community or retail, you know, how many times did Sammy come in and look at that red dress, you know, stuff like that and really helping with, I think people don't understand that Cisco is a, Cisco Meraki is a big data company and an analytics company. I think we lose ourselves on being called the cloud company, but really through IoT and sensors and other things, it really helps us build this huge data collection that then we can use analytics to provide some pretty powerful results. And that's really where I see the team going over the next year or two. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Sounds like you got your work cut out for you. <laughs> you got a lot on the agenda, but we can do it as a team. There's no doubt. And I completely agree with you. I think IoT and ecosystem are two things that are absolute differentiators, especially with our competitors. Um, and you touched on all the analytics, right? All the rich analytics that um, you can kind of get out of the Meraki platform too. So the future is definitely bright, that's for sure. So we're gonna end now. Hope it's been so amazing chatting with you. Um, I wanna talk about some sort of call to action. So, you know, if folks that are listening today are feeling inspired, um, want to do, you know, more research on getting more involved, I guess, with channel, channel partners, service provider, what do you recommend? How could someone um, get involved, get more information, where to go if you spark some interest, maybe wants to work for you, who knows? Well, I like all of those, actually. Um, <laughs> I think that the biggest thing is, um, they should subscribe, obviously, to Meraki on LinkedIn. I think we do a great job of um, getting out information right. They could also go to um, my page, my LinkedIn page, um, if they'd like to reach out to me directly. And then um, finally, if they want to get involved or they're curious about getting involved, you know, as a partner or an ecosystem partner, they can either go to the um, Meraki partner site or, again, um, I'm pretty uh, pretty involved in everything, so they could also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, and I could get them connected with the right teams. So beautiful, um, beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I hope you had fun. You better come I back. Did. I did. I'm excited to be here. It was um it was a good way to come back to work, Sammy. So um I appreciate you having me on the call, and I appreciate you doing this. Um, you know, for the organization and so forth. And uh, oh my gosh. don't worry, I'll see you soon in the Bay. I'll come back out and visit. Good, you better. I would love that. Mm -hmm. Your visit was so fun. And thank you again. You're just, you're an inspiring leader. Um, again, I, you know, we, we connected right away and I could just tell your energy, your vibe, the way you think about business and transformation, so impactful. You had so many gold nuggets throughout our conversation today. So I hope our listeners are really walking away with something helpful that they can apply to their day to day, whether they're at Cisco Meraki or at Cisco or at a different organization. There was a lot to take from this call today. So thank you, Hope. Um, we are signing off. Thanks for another uh, tuning in and another great episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. We will see you back here in two weeks.